The Pace line is supported by LEL Cycling. Crafted in California, the LEL brand combines the latest technology with cycling tradition to deliver an experience that is authentically California. View their retail gear and custom program at lelcycling.com. Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I am Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How is it fitting in your lives this week, Patrick? Uh, well, the doxycycline has uh, made oh, yeah, riding right. outside uh, kind of, I don't want to say untenable, but I need to do it at real kind of bumper times of the day. It's not Were even you so able much... to pin on the ra- the number for the race, or no? Was that a did you, that was not a? I'll see how I do Saturday morning. I'm, I'm oh, that's this to... weekend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought it was last weekend. No. Um, oh, okay. I've when I've been riding, I've been trying to do it really early. the The mm-hmm. weird thing is, like, just the sun kind of hurts. Hmm. I know. I've been on it, um, and I did that. I think I mentioned I did the hammer line high. Uh, in Whitefish, Montana. And I was on, you know, that was, it was quite a few years ago at this point, but I was on doxycycline for a bullseye rash kind of thing too. Uh, Cleared up the rash right away. Uh, Fortunately, I think because of the time of year and where I was, the sun was not quite as strong. But once the ride was done and we were sort of just hanging out ready for getting, you know, they were barbecuing some elk and, you know, all the other things (laughs) that they do out there. Uh, I felt like I was standing inside an oven with the element right over me. And I was like, this is, wow. To your point, this hurts. Like, my yeah. skin is hurting with the sun hitting it. So I, I sought some shade. I, I didn't, I know I know some people have had horror stories with it. It wasn't quite that bad. But I, I became acutely aware that I was, I felt like I was on fire. Yeah, it just, uh, you know, so my normal riding time, you know, to head out, uh, two thirty, three, four, and go out for no, 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 no. Yeah, that is <laughs> not a thing that's, currently. That is when the sun is strongest in the sky. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm hoping that tomorrow I can uh, do a ride out in the forest out out in West County, and uh, you know, if I if I do that, if I stay in the forest, it's fine. <laughs> but outside, no, no. <laughs> So my mileage is currently off and maybe that'll serve me well for a race on Saturday. <laughs> is the race, is the race in the woods? Well, I still need to find <laughs> out a little bit more about that. It's, it's Jackson state demo forest. So it's thick. That's where the Jackson. It's a mountain bike race. Is. Yes. 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 Okay. That helps. And so there's a fair chance that, you know, I'm going to spend the entire day at F 20. Uh, wait, no F 2.8, you know, just it, it's, it gets kind of dark in there. Uh, yeah, and that I don't get lo- that reference. Sorry, what? oh, car- cameras. Sorry, bad Patrick. Oh, like an <laughs> f stop. Like, oh, yeah. is that what you're talking about? Oh my god, I had no idea. I'm like, is that Star <laughs> Trek? What? What are you talking uh, about? It's, sorry, okay. full rabbit. Is that hole. a latitude, a longitude? <laughs> <laughs> battleship. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. You suck my battleship. <laughs> yeah, so it, I it's, get it now. <laughs> it's darkish in there, and uh, you know if. As long as I don't have direct sunlight beaten on me, I'm pretty okay. Now, have you tried like the sun sleeves? Do they make a difference? I just don't want to be out there because there's always something exposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. It's my neck or my hands or something. Yeah. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, I get it. People yeah, warned me it- and I'm glad they did because otherwise I'd be thinking I was losing my mind. It's the strangest it- experience. It's a very weird sensation. Yeah. I don't really know why it does that. I'm now I'm kind of curious to dig behind the curtain and see what that what's because yeah. it is a very strange sensation. Yeah, what is that biological mechanism? Right. No, it's a hmm. I might have to dig that up. Ooh. I'm very curious now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how about you? How are you this week? I am. I am well. I uh, I feel. I you know after <laughs> it's 
I don't know why I was surprised, you know, but after I got back from Steamboat Springs, you know, doing that epic thing, that 140 mile gravel adventure, I was tired. Yeah, I was, (laughs) I got a little tired from that. You know, I think the whole month, because I did the perimeter ride and that was Mm -hmm. hard. And then I came back and I did the Middle Creek gravel grind thing, which, you know, it was hard. It wasn't a super long day, but it was hard. And then very shortly after that, you know, I went to that girls camp and then I went to Steamboat and did that very hard thing. And I came back and I was like, it's very rare that I have days where I'm like, I just don't want, I don't feel like getting on my bike. Like, it's very rare for me to have like that emotion. Mm -hmm. And I like actively, you know, it's funny, my coach had this week sort of laid out for me that it wasn't super aggressive, but it had, you know, like three and back to back three and a half hour rides on the weekend. And I just I saw that early in the week and it knocked the wind straight out of my sails. Like I I, it, it, it was a really strange psychological thing. Like I was just like, no, no, nope, no. And I and I rarely respond that way, but I was. I I was me- a lot of it's mental. When I get mentally torched, forget it. And I was just like, I need to take this week and just regroup and catch up on work because I was also like I was drowning and you know, deadlines mound up when you, you know, when you take weeks off and when you travel and all that stuff. Like I need psychologically to sit down and to catch up on work and just ride as I feel like riding, and that's exactly what I did. And it you know I sort of I you know, typed in my little apologies because I hate to let down the coach, but I was like, I, you know, uh, mentally, I'm just not there. Like, I'm just not with you right now. And I need, I need to regroup. And, uh, and it did me worlds of good. Like at some point I woke up and I was like, yep, I'm ready to get back on my bike. Like for real, you know, it's like I rode, I just didn't ride a whole lot. I just Mm -hmm. got out and more to just, you know, keep the fatigue at bay, if anything, you know, just to get, (laughs) you know, get out, get out in the sun. Uh, but it was, yeah. And I went to, for the first time in a couple months, because I've been traveling, that a really cool cinder crit that they do here that I uh-huh. think I, I've talked about before, how much I love the local, you know, you, you bring a six pack as your entry fee. For those who don't know, it's called the 666. So you bring <laughs> a six pack, a six pack is your entry fee. The race is six miles. It's five laps of like a 1.2 mile crit, which is, which is crazy. Like, it starts on, as promised, gravel and cinders, and it goes right into a sketchy bend almost immediately. So everybody is like locking up and swir- swerving and just trying to stay upright. And then it goes into some single track, which is really fun. And it goes along a little creek and dives back out on some sketchy cinders. And it goes up this like steep hill and into some single track. The whole thing is is super fun. But the first lap, um, and I felt really good. It was just great to feel like energetic and feel like mixing it up and feel a lot like myself again. And um, it was, it's going to sound really strange to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So the first, I think it was lap one, I had uh, a really good downhill guy on my wheel, you know, through this sort of tricky section. So there are dueling single track lines and I'm like, he is just riding up on me. I'm just going to take the right line and let him take the left line. And as I tried to take the right line, I hit gravel, imagine that, and like skidded out and took both of us. <laughs> so I, you know, I hit the ground and I haven't hit the ground in a while. Um, was totally like I slid. I sort of I didn't hit my head hard, but I came down and like I slid, hit my right side and then my head just sort of bounced off the ground. I'm fine. Like anyone's like, oh, did you check yourself? Totally fine. Um, got back up, looked at him. I didn't. He's laying on the ground. I'm like, are you OK? I'm OK. We got back up and raced. But um, it, I, I don't know how to articulate it. I've been thinking about it since it happened. That crash kind of made me happy. Like that, <laughs> it sounds insane to say that, right? But, but I, I know what you're I talking a- about. I had actually just been thinking that on a mountain bike ride over the weekend, you know, I was doing some things and I, I hit a little sketchy area and I'm like, I'm being a little tentative. And, you know, I, th- I feel like when I raced all the time, I wasn't so tentative because I was in race mode a lot. And you're in, it's a, just a different headspace. And I haven't mountain bike raced that much. So I'm a li- I am a little more tentative on the mountain bike. And it kind of bugs me because here, often when you're tentative, that's when you do crash. Because, oh, yeah. yeah, it's the technical stuff. 
So I got into that, like the the joy of that crash was like I was I was in the rhythm of the racing and I hit the ground and it was fine and I was fine. You know, I mean, those are mm-hmm. those are good crashes. And it kind of reminds you that you are resilient, you know, and it's it it made it just <laughs> sounds so dumb, but it made me really happy. And I finished really happy because I got up and I finished well, you know, I wanted third overall. They don't break it up into men or women. You know, I was so I was chase, trying to chase down the guys and I got fourth. But um, I, it just the whole experience made me super happy because I was like racing and in that flow of racing where you're not hesitating, you're not doing all that kind of stuff. I hit the ground, got back up. I'm resilient. I'm fine. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's a it was an interesting experience. It's nice when I mean, I think that that's pretty cool because, you know, you go down. It's low consequence. And, you know, suddenly that, oh God, I'm falling is over. And it's like, oh, nothing happened. Right. And yeah, yeah, why not be exuberant at that point? How how are you going to stop that? (laughs) You know, like, oh, I pulled a win out of this. Um, And so, yeah, why, you know, why wouldn't you react that way? Well, because he hit the ground, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it went so better than you thought it was going to. Yeah, and I think that it, in an odd way, and and it's it's a very strange comparison, but it it's similar. I bungee jumped once, twice at, at the same time. Um, we did two jumps, the same event, many moons ago. Jumped off a two hundred foot trestle bridge, and okay. hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like mm-hmm. the will to the will to live is strong, and when you just have a little rope and they're telling you to swan dive off of a giant bridge, it's like. And had I not been the only woman, I I might actually, I don't know if I would have done it. But anyway, um, the joy of bungee jumping is when the rope catches you and you're alive. Like that is, you are so exhilarated. You are deliriously happy (laughs) that you're alive. And there's there's a similar situation there where you're just like, I hit the ground, I tumbled and I'm still racing my bike. And that's cool. You know, it's like those, and I think it's on a minor level, it's the same thing. It reminds you that you're alive. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, mm. so that's that. So yeah. uh, let's roll on to the, let's yeah. roll out. Let's roll out. I'll take the first pull here. Okay. Um, I'm going to take on a listener question again. Oh, this cool. Week. Yeah. Cause we get so many good listener questions. So this is from Kathy and Kathy writes, uh, I was wondering if you have advice about choosing a coach specifically for mountain biking. I want to step up my fitness, but I'm so challenged by negative naysaying voices in my head and not having anything overtly structured. I think it's hindering my progress and feeding into my negative thinking. Any advice would be super helpful and greatly appreciated. Thanks. So there's a couple things. Yeah, a couple things going on there. A couple things going on there, right? Um, And we'll, we'll get to all of that stuff going on there. But first... Uh, I obviously, as I mentioned, have a coach, and I think there's much to be gained from having a coach. I I spoke that a few weeks ago as my other poll, you know, then I started working with a coach again, and I really enjoy it for myriad reasons. Um, I don't have to second guess myself when I'm deciding how to best get fit for events throughout the season. I often get slightly different workouts than I would normally put together for myself, you know, Mm because I am a coach. I would definitely put together workouts, but there's everyone has their own takes on things. So it's kind of, uh energe- energizing to get someone else's take on the same like high intensity interval or the same you know whatever it is it, it's it, it makes it more exciting uh and i enjoy the accountability i like to impress people i like having a coach that says at a girl i mean it just brings out it definitely brings out the best in me uh that said not all coaching relationships are created equal you know i've had mm. half a dozen or more over over time more um you know, and I've had coaches who weren't as experienced with mountain biking and just how very, very different it is from road cycling, who would prescribe these enormous mountain bike days, you know, like three, five hour days in a row. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and yes, I was stage racing, but that still seems super excessive. And it really almost buried me a couple of times. Like, I was like, I need someone who actually understands really the demands, you know, who's not just, you know, so. Yeah. Finding that that person who really gets what you are doing, I think, is is really important. 
Um, you know, I've had coaches who have refused to work with me because I wasn't willing to train with power in each and every ride. I remember you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I get that, uh, you know, cause there are very, very metric coach, metric based coaching systems and people out there. And I get it. And I'm not, I'm not putting any of that down. You know, it is indeed the best way to measure your progress and systematically improve. Sometimes what I very personally am looking for is not that easily displayed on a computer screen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, that is, that is me, you know, that is me. So that, that person is not, we're not a good match, right? You know, if they don't want to work with me, that I should not want to work with them because we're not going to work well together. That's, that's, so yep. that leads, that leads to the point that, you know, that I've had also coaches, you, a coach has to get you. And I've had coaches who just didn't get me. Uh, and I think that's really, really, really important. And listening to Kathy's question, I'm going to say that's extremely important specifically for what I hear her saying. You know, for instance, in one billion race starts, I have never woken up and thought, I'm going to crush it. I like I just don't think that way. I don't wake up and be like, I'm so stoked. I'm so ready to shred. Like, I don't that's not who I am. I'm not one of those people you know, like when I played field hockey, my pre-game ritual was similar to my pre-race ritual to this day. I like to go off somewhere away from everyone and quietly center myself, get in the right positive headspace, calm the butterflies, silence the demons, make peace with the day, and then, you know, roll up to the line. Like, that is my process. And I had this teammate who was all the way around the globe the opposite from me. And she, she... She thought that I was like a Debbie Downer, you know, so she would like pull me out of my quiet space and get in my face and like like a football. You know, you see those guys like scream at me and like shake, like literally shake me, like trying to psych me up. And it was all I could do not to punch her in the face. I was just like, (laughs) because this is not it's not how I get motivated, Mm -hmm. you know, so if a coach doesn't really, really get that about me. They might not know how to message me properly, which is really important around yeah. the days of your event, because you're nervous and you, you know, you're trying to find that right headspace. And if you don't have somebody who gets you, they might be sending, texting you all sorts of messages that are just making it worse, mm-hmm. you know, who, that mm-hmm. are psyching you out or, you know, making you more nervous as opposed right. to like getting you psychologically ready for your event in the way that you need to be psychologically ready yeah so yeah so if you're coach if you're prone to negative self-talk this is something Mm -hmm. i'm a bit of an expert in Mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's just i think it's really key that you have a coach who understands that that circuit is in play and how to work with it i mean to your point you know totally and and good coaches will know that They'll, they'll do their homework right and they'll figure you out on a personal level so that they can communicate with you in ways that help your mental fitness as well as your physical fitness and readiness. You know, and and same goes like if they do show up, like some coaches are on site with you. I remember I had triathlon coaches who would show up at my events and they'd see me on the run and they'd ask me like, how are you feeling? And I would just like totally flip out. I'd just be like, don't ask me, blah, blah, blah. You know, like go away. Yelling <laughs> out. Make you self-conscious at exactly the moment you don't want to be self-conscious. Totally, because like I lie to myself out there. I'm like, even if I'm not feeling great, I'm creating theater in my head that is that I need to stick with. And a reality check is the last thing I want. It's the last <laughs> thing I want. You know, so from then on, they'd be like, looking good, have fun. <laughs> you know, like, they just... <laughs> and did they have as as tentative and and not confident look on their faces you just yes. did them. <laughs> I think this yes, is what they, I'm supposed to say. <laughs> yes, they seemed it took them a while, but they seemed to totally understand that maybe we don't approach Celine at all. Like maybe we just <laughs> quietly give a golf clap and just like let her do her thing. Um, you know, that's all a long way of saying that coaching is a two-way street. You must be able to communicate like I need to be able to communicate to my coach, like who I am, what I need, what I'm looking for. So that coach can help me if they are the right fit, become my better self. You know, otherwise it's just an exercise in frustration for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, so when you're choosing a coach, like start by doing a little research on them. What do they specialize in? 
What type of clients do they work with? What do they do themselves? Do they have experience working with someone like you? You know, mm-hmm. what, what's their what's their client base like? I think sometimes people get a little intimidated you know, because sometimes they think their coach is like going to be the boss, you know, and that it's not a boss relationship. It's not it's not like that. It's it, it's you're, you're a team. You're on the same team and you are actually paying that person. You're paying them. So yeah. you have every good reason to ask lots of questions and make sure that person can provide the services you're looking and paying for. And if you don't feel comfortable and like the person or don't feel like they're on your wavelength, then politely move on and just keep looking. Because there's lots of coaches out there. And it really is, a, but the interpersonal part is huge. And especially if, like Kathy, you're looking, you're not looking for a tactician, or you're not looking just for someone to give you spreadsheets and blah, blah, you know, and there's some people who just want that, you know, they just mm-hmm. want the metrics and the spreadsheets. And that's fine. So find that person, you know, yep. but if you, you need to, like, do your homework and due diligence and make sure that, like, you're finding a person who is the right match for you. So, yeah, I think you well, should do it, Kathy, but definitely, you know, take take some of that advice to heart because you, you definitely need an interpersonal person. Yeah. I mean, I think about it, you know, as you talk about your relationship with your coach and at a certain level, I sort of think I'm probably uncoachable. <laughs> it would almost what? be fun to interview a hundred coaches to see if one of them goes, oh, I, I know how you're wired. I've, I, I've got this. I, I don't. You know, it would just be amusing to me to see if there was a coach out there who thought, no, no, we can get more out of Patrick. It's there. We know how to do it. Just, just experimentally, just out of curiosity. No, but I mean, why do you think you're uncoachable? Oh, uh, because I don't go out and do, uh, structured workouts. I'm, you know, there's that. (laughs) but would you want to be coached? Because if you wouldn't want to be coached, then you're completely uncoachable. <laughs> <laughs> she asks the right question. Well, I mean, it would be, you know, just as an as an experiential thing within my cycling life today, I I'd be interested to see if I could adapt what I like in my current riding life into something a little more structured so that. I could be maybe a little stronger. That's, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I can't help but wonder, is there a middle ground between something super structured and choreographed and my completely undisciplined approach to cycling? I'm going to say yes. Well, obviously there's going to be, you know, a gray area in between those two, but it's just curious to me to think, well, is there a coach really knows how to work with that that's interesting i you know what i i i i bet i know one i i I think it's funny i uh there's this woman michelle granger out in colorado that we cross paths every time i go to the coaching summit and i like her a lot and she uh she would definitely i think she could coach anybody because (laughs) because she's just she's just how her head works is is you would be a very um, I, I wanted to say entertaining challenge, but that's not coming out right. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm happy to roll with that. Okay, I'm happy to roll with that. No, I I wouldn't mind being she's, being she, an entertaining she, challenge. She's free spirited, you know what I mean. And like, so I think that that would it would she would get whatever she'd be happy to get whatever you're laying down. She'd be like, oh, okay, this is this is how Patrick is. And and then she would find <laughs> sneaky ways to figure out if you were improving and actually doing what she was telling you to do. Yeah. I mean I'm not a I'm not against getting on my bike on a Zwift uh yeah and doing a Zwift workout and you know getting a benchmark. I'm not against that. But don't think for a second you can ask me to do that daily. Oh yeah. Yeah. I get but, that. You know, back to this you know, the question I have is, you know, somebody wants to find a coach and they understand that they're probably going to need to interview a few coaches. How far afield do you suggest someone look? What do you mean? Well, I mean, should, should she immediately be thinking about uh, a relationship with a coach that might be primarily online? Someone she may never actually meet, uh, you know, in the first six months she's working with them. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think it can. I think it can work. I I think just because 
I, I've seen it work that if you if you jive with somebody online and you have you develop this rapport and they seem to get you back and forth through email, I I honestly think that can work. And I think that that you don't necessarily need somebody face to face with you. Having somebody like having someone face to face with you is has positives and negatives all of its own, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So right. yeah, so it's it's uh I, I think that I would, if it was me, I would do my research online. I mean, she it, conceivably she could also just ask for references from anyone she knows that has a coach, and coaches know coaches, and things go that way too. But um, yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say. Like, could you go on to Carmichael Training Systems and plug in that stuff and find somebody who's right for you? Mm, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that would work. It, it. it it's not without challenges for sure to just cause there's just so much out there to winnow it down. But I would probably just start by doing a little research and maybe if you do want face to face, look locally, see who is available locally and, you know, drop them some lines and see how they respond to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. tell pretty quickly, you know, I think if you're going to jive with, with somebody by how they respond to what you, what you put out there. I would hope so. I, you know, I just, I don't really know. And it's one of those things that I really don't know if I was looking for a coach, I wouldn't know if I should look locally first and place an emphasis on, you know, having that personal interaction with somebody and hoping that helps them get me better. Or if I should be looking much further afield for someone who is, you know, better geared toward working with someone and the the close personal contact thing be damned. Yeah. Well, it does, it does really kind of depend. Like if, if she's, you know, the, the benefits of meeting with someone, especially if you're a mountain biker, I mean, you could actually get physical tips too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you could ride with somebody and somebody, you guys could chat and, and have all that kind of stuff. And I think there's a, there's benefits to be, to be had just, just from that. But if you are looking more, um, globally and you know just for for training plans i i I don't think it matters i think you can just look online and find you know find it that way it's hard to find i think it's kind of limiting uh, depending where you live to try to find somebody that you can physically meet with I, i i i that's harder for sure yeah and i think depending on where you live it could be all but impossible that's true i mean i'm thinking there are people in philly sure you could probably find whatever you know i don't know where you are but but if you're in some town miles from nowhere it gets harder Mm -hmm. yeah but i mean that's one of the great things about the interwebs now you know we've got all these resources at our fingertips it's remarkable it is remarkable so good luck kathy let me know how it goes yeah okay we're gonna break for a sponsor and then we are going to uh talk about some flow at shimano We love riding, and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or a metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we're back with the Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, go with the flow. Yeah. So we talk about flow on the show with some regularity, mainly because it's a big obsession of mine. But <laughs> when I do it, 
I'm aware that I'm doing it with a certain tacit assumption that, you know, this idea that everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. And based on a few recent conversations I've had, I thought it might be a good idea to do a little refresher or for those who don't really even know to, to do an explanation. So my interest in flow is really straightforward. It's one of three things I've run across in my life that allowed me to look back through the history of my life and see a common thread throughout. It turns out that whether I'm riding a bike, uh, my work as a writer, playing music and live performance, skateboarding, a whole host of things, in each of those, I was always looking for flow while doing them. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what I was chasing. It's truly been a central motivation for me. The psychologist who coined the term, uh, his name's Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, referred to flow as an autotelic experience. That is, it's so inherently and intrinsically rewarding that you don't need any outside incentive to pursue the activity. You know, in other words, we'll, we'll race bikes without being paid to race bikes. Right. <laughs> Makes total sense. Yeah. If you'll pay to do something, you might be finding flow in it. You know? <laughs> what really changed for me, though, with flow was once that I once I understood that it wasn't just some cutesy pop psych term, that it's a way to classify the common denominator of our most rewarding experiences by nature of the tr- neurotransmitters released during the state. Uh, I'm going to break that down now. <laughs> so the first thing to understand is that this is a naturally produced altered state of consciousness. Bottom line, it is a reward for being completely present. In many cases, it's a reward for being a badass, but it isn't only that. So, because this is a biological experience, there are neurotransmitters involved. So, there are five five big ones that we know about. Dopamine. Uh, is one of the big pieces of this. It's the body's primary reward system. It gets released a lot when you fall in love. Uh, Mm -hmm. And also when you do that thing with your lover. Uh, (laughs) When you get to the bottom of a descent and think, OMG, dude, that was so much fun. I've got to do that again right now. Well, that was dopamine. Uh, And to help illustrate this point, although I bet a lot of our listeners don't have any experience with this, Cocaine plugs into that receptor. Okay. Uh, That's why cocaine works because our bodies uh, accept dopamine. Norepinephrine is also released. And this one's really curious. It's a first cousin to epinephrine, which is also known as adrenaline. When you've been in a really intense experience and either time sped by and you wonder how you got from A to B, either spatially or temporally, that's norepinephrine. Uh, It causes time dilation. Um, My best example is if you've ridden a difficult line in the past, something that was always tricky, and then suddenly one day it seems simple, that classic, oh, I got this. Well, that's flow. I can remember being in the midst of something difficult and thinking, oh, yeah, I've got plenty of time to cruise off that and cut around that over there. Amphetamines plug into this receptor. We talk a lot about runner's high. And runner's high is just another term for uh, flow. And the big thing that everybody thinks about with runner's high are endorphins. That's the neurotransmitter that is uh, that opiates plug into. Uh, endorphins are a natural painkiller. And what allows you to push through that pain in crunch time. So if you've ever finished a really hard ride feeling great, only to feel completely destroyed two hours later. That was endorphins. Yeah. Next up, uh, anandamide. This one's really interesting. So anandamide promotes lateral or creative thinking. Anytime you're in the midst of something really difficult and suddenly you come up with a novel solution, well, that was probably helped along by anandamide cruising through your system. An obvious example is riding a piece of single track And then realizing, if you want to go faster, you should go over that rock or other obstacle rather than around it. Anandamide, well, the thing that plugs into its receptor is the active ingredient in cannabis, THC. Last up is 
arguably the most curious of the bunch, serotonin. So that gets released toward the end of the flow state, kind of the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. It lends the flow experience the afterglow of peace and contentment that gives you that mellow grin for the rest of the day. It's not the whee of dopamine, but it's the lingering happy. It's the satisfaction. Uh, we didn't discover serotonin until after a Sandoz chemist by the name of Albert Hoffman synthesized LSD. <laughs> this hmm. one's so strange. We didn't understand the mechanism by which LSD worked initially. And the effort to better understand psychedelics, I'm compressing this somewhat, is what led to the discovery of serotonin and the serotonin system. Hmm. Uh, so that's why flow is so powerful. And it also helps to illustrate why drug abuse can be so tempting. Uh, functionally, what this stuff does is really pretty fascinating. So in flow, now that we understand what's cruising through your brain, your prefrontal cortex goes offline. It's being bombarded with so much input that the only way to process it all is to take a more gestalt approach to the subconscious level. If you try to attend each new input, you'll just be completely overwhelmed. And so at a certain level, your brain just starts to surf it, shuts down the prefrontal cortex and goes reptilian. Uh, I'm going to use the example of mountain biking again to show the arc of how a flow state goes. So I'm at the top of a descent. It's one I'm familiar with, but one that is still difficult for me. I roll out just a hair faster than usual. We're talking like a half mile per hour. As I pick up speed, my body goes on alert, starts releasing norepinephrine. Time starts to slow down a little bit. It begins to give me tiny little sips of dopamine to tell me, hey, this is a pretty good time. Anandamide begins to get released, and the combination of norepinephrine and anandamide puts my pattern recognition system into overdrive so that I'm looking at patterns uh, looking at opportunities and then looking at creative solutions to them. I'm reading the trail. Okay. And so, uh, it's, it's also keying on the new and different. It likes novelty. Staying this in this state requires a great degree of concentration. Dopamine continues to get released in tiny amounts, but endorphins start to get released so that you cease to be aware of your body's needs. So my muscles will be producing lactic acid, but I won't really notice it. Finally, as I roll out of the descent, the brain gets a big dump of dopamine saying, you done good, kid. And at roughly the same time, I get a fair dose of serotonin, which makes me do the silly grin. You know, it, that's the afterglow. So Celine, the inherent mm. reward of flow is obvious enough. I'm curious to know from you, to what degree flow is something that you just let happen, or if it's something you're actively chasing when you're on the bike? I don't ever actively chase flow. Um, because, because that seems like it would be, it would inhibit me from getting flow. Oh, but yeah. Being too self-conscious about it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's 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 funny because there was no question that last night I got into a flow state because I was not thinking about my racing and it was just things were coming at me. I was just very in the moment and I was all of those things. I was uh, super, super happy when we were done. And about two hours later in the shower, I totally crashed. And, you know, it was just that <laughs> whole that all the whole experience. And it's interesting because I've written about. um athletes and drinking because drinking potentiates a lot of this kind of stuff. There's a reason that everybody drinks a bunch of beer when they're done. And it's just like these things potentiate each other and you just get all the more, you know, from it. Um, and it's also why people who are addicts often go to endurance sports and, and, you know, to sort of chase a healthier state of that, of all those things. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, so I, I think that, I, I, hmm, to answer your question, even on another deeper level, I, I chase those things on my bike for sure. So I don't chase them in less healthy ways. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. that, that yep. is like I mentioned last week, I used to smoke. I used to, I mean, there's, there's no question that if I wasn't on my bike, I would be at a hundred different 
100% different person and, <laughs> and, and not necessarily a healthy one. And it's because of those things. My brain wants all of that. And, yep. you know, it's like bungee jumping. It's the things that I've, you know, my, my brain likes all of that. Uh, but I find flow, and I'm sure you do it also in writing. And you can't chase it in writing either. You will be, you'll want to throw yourself out the window if you chase it in writing. <laughs> you know, like, because sometimes it, it has to, it's not ready yet. And mm-hmm. then when it comes out, it's a wonderful feeling. And it's not dissimilar to that. When things are flo- flowing, when the writing words are flowing, it's an amazing state. And that's very similar. It's funny on, you know, on mountain biking, I think is is one of the best places to, and you used it as a concrete example, to really see flow in action, as you mentioned it, because it is, you have to be present and it can be technical and you're riding that ability versus challenge line that is necessary as well. And it's, uh, I find that it's easier to hit it when I am feeling fit and fresh, but I also can hit it. Oddly, I've noticed that I can hit it after, like, say I have a hard weekend race and I'm going down to the mountain two days later and I'm still tired. Sometimes, even though I'm tired, I'm riding very cleanly. Like I'm, st- I'm still, I'm, I'm cl- clearing stuff that often gives me trouble. Like I feel very one with my bike, though I'm not mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. And that's always interesting to me because I tend to marry flow and fast in my head. You know, perhaps because I've I've experienced mostly memorably in race states, mm-hmm. but it yeah. doesn't. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be there, and it's it's most interesting to me when it's not. When I am tired and I'm thinking, "Wow, I I shouldn't be clearing all this," but I'm but I'm just sort of rolling with the rhythm of the trail. That's that's a whole other state of flow because I'm not getting I'm not getting the rush of <laughs> the exertion. The same way too, you know, so it's interesting how it manifests itself in sort of different ways. But yeah, I don't, I, I, I really don't ever chase it per se, but I probably backdoor chase it in the, in the rise and the events and the things that I choose to do. Yeah. I think, yeah, if you're too self-conscious about it, you really can't chase flow. It'll all always stay just sort of elusive and out of reach. So when I've talked to other friends about it, uh, you know, in terms of like actively hacking flow, you've got to look left or right. You can't look ahead. You, you've got to be focused on something else. And one of my favorite tricks is, you know, if I'm on a mountain bike ride, I don't do this on the road, but, uh, I'll bring along some earbuds and some music. And one of the things that's really helpful is as I'm writing something difficult and technical, I'll sing along with the song. Hopefully in tune, but God only knows. <laughs> yeah, you're you're doing something else there. And I that's yeah. a different that's a different trick. And I get that. Like sometimes I'll count, sometimes because it's shutting off what the part of your brain that's getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a way to to get just a little bit more input to help yeah. overwhelm the system. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's, it's also interesting, like what, what does, you know, I mean, there's those days where you can't get out of your own way, where you're hitting everything square. It's just like, what is your, you're riding like you've never ridden a bike before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what is going on brain chemistry there? I, I don't know. Do you know? I like, I, well, I can't say it first, but what I can say, it reminds me of a ride I did a couple of weeks ago where I completely body checked a sapling. You know, I was like, okay, well, it's going to be one of those rides today. <laughs> I was, you know, I was a mile into the ride, if that, and, you know, poof, up against the sapling. Yeah. Well, you know, you, your, your muscles will feel a little shaky afterward. You mm-hmm. know, you tremble mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, that's mm-hmm. the epinephrine. Too much epinephrine in your system, you, you get muscle tension, you'll shake. Uh, that's a flow killer if ever there was one. And it's really hard to get the reset after that. That's what I always do is I back the intensity uh, or the difficulty way, way off so that I have that chance to relax. And, you know, hopefully I can get a reset. But a lot of times in that ride, once that's happened, I'm done. It's just going to be, and you know, best case scenario, it'll be a pretty good ride afterward. But there won't be any amazing usually. So. No, understanding that piece of it, I think is kind of critical. 
One of the other things that I think is really helpful to do is to go a little faster than you're truly comfortable with at first, like start a descent a little fast, and then you back off your pace just ever so slightly so that you've, you've kind of kissed too hard. You've kissed that nervousness just a little bit. And as you back off into your sweet spot, that's when you'll drop into flow. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. But again, it's one of those things that if you're too self-conscious about it, you know, you're, you're, you'll still be on and present and you won't quite get there. Fascinating okay. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, I, the article that I did for bicycling a couple of years back, uh, one of the neuroscientists that I interviewed for that said something utterly remarkable to me. He said, you know, if we could package flow in a pill, all those different neurotransmitters in one pill, it would be the perfect antidepressant. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no question. It's just yeah. not. Yeah, that's. If we're not test tubes. It doesn't it doesn't quite work quite that way, though. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and don't imagine. anybody go out and do a line of coke and an injection of amphetamines and, you know, smoke a... People whatever. have tried to do these things. Yes. <laughs> That's a speedballs. Yes. People have died. So let's not, uh, let's not chase yeah. it that way. It's not, yeah. it's not a good pursuit. Don't get in a bathtub and try to, um, try to do that. Um, yeah, but, you know, basketball, like, it always, like, I loved it. I loved listening to, like, Alan Iverson or some of the, some of the Philly guys used to talk about it, like, when the basket seems like it's half the court size, like the basket itself gets just like, you can't miss because the basket looks enormous. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think that like when you listen to other sports, people talk about their, like how they experience it. It's pretty cool too. I love deconstructing the language of flow. People who don't know really what the flow state is and, you know, are just talking about, Oh yeah, I was totally in the zone. And like you said, you know, the, the basket was huge. I couldn't miss or, you know, there wasn't a line that didn't work for me, all that sort of thing. I love seeing those moments where someone's defining flow and yet they don't fully understand what it is they're talking about, but you, they're using classic language that describes the state and just sort of unmistakably slow. I love finding those little gems. Well, I did a story. I'll have to send it to you. Um, what happens when you, what happens to you when you crash? And hmm. it was with a, with a neuroscientist who explained that whole matrix phenomenon, like why time slows down so much and you're able to notice all those crazy things you notice when you crash. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, because your brain is literally just like giving you so many more frames per second. So you can process it. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, fa it's fascinating. And that's all happening in microseconds. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, a crash that I had some years back, I went back after the fact to figure out, well, you know, how much time elapsed from when my tire slid to when I was on the ground. And, you know, I measured that, I used my bike as kind of a yardstick and then, uh, calculated with the help of Excel. I've made this horribly <laughs> wow. more complicated, uh, equation to get the math that I needed. A friend of mine showed me, a. uh, an equation with like half the number of steps. He said, but you still got the right answer. <laughs> That's incredible. That's an incredible pursuit. Uh, well, there... I was kind of curious. Uh, part of it was, I was curious about what was my reaction time. There were things that I had misremembered, but I'd still managed to record like a chunk of tree that I had remembered in one spot. No, it was actually over here and this was there, but I still had big things where big things were. Uh, huh. But the big thing that I, I, was sort of curious about and found out was what my reaction time was. Cause I knew I was in flow when all that happened. And I was like, well, you know, given the amount of space that transpired between my tire sliding and me being on the ground and the speed I was going, not much time was there. And I managed to calculate that in flow, my reaction time was between 0.18 and 0.22 of a second, about a fifth of a second. Yeah. No, I totally buy that. Just and based on what, yeah. And that's like in the realm of Formula One drivers. Yeah. There was, so, I mean, and they have to, that's right. They have to react very fast. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can't be some schlub. Mm. <laughs> All righty. What do you say we move on? All right. Um, my pick this week is the Colorado Classic. Uh, that, yeah. It's 
just wanted to give out a shout. You know, this was the this was a a big jump uh, for the organizers. It was just the women's race, four day yeah. stage race, huge prize purse. They had a really good, I thought, live coverage that you know you could watch it on YouTube. They did a tour tracker, Twitter. The races on website. You know, there was a wide range of ways that you could tune in and live stream this thing and and check it out, which was which was great. Uh, Chloe, for people that don't know, Digert Owen swept the whole thing. She, you know, she's a former track world champion. She took all four stage wins: the climbing jersey, the sprinting jersey, the best young rider jersey. Uh, you know, she's twenty two. She's coming off of a pretty serious concussion. You know, she had, she had had a pretty bad crash and you know this mm-hmm. is uh but she came raging out and i it's it's hard to say if that's i mean we definitely watched a dominant amazing performance and she's we're gonna see quite a bit of her for years to come i think <laughs> I, it's hard to say it for the race experience for the larger population i don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing you know that it was such a dominant sweeping performance by one person because that you know the race is exciting in a different way than as if it had been more of a boxing match or you know people the the wind switching it's sure you know it, it is harder but i think one of the things i thought was super interesting and and then they had this every day viewers could contribute uh on the website or via even a text message to a pot for a bonus preem and half the money went to the day's winner and then the other half would go to like a nonprofit cycling related nonprofit and they they got about $10,000 each day from people, wow. which kind of blew me away. Like that's, yeah. that's a lot of engagement and that's a lot of people literally putting their money where their mouth is supporting the event. Mm-hmm. So hats off to that. And, you know, it's off to a great start. It wasn't perfect. You know, it's still, there's a lot of things that it, it's still, you know, some of the, the, the video quality, all that stuff paled still a little bit, you know, to what you, you would see on a men's event, but it was, it was, a very, very excellent shot over the bow, first shot of the bow. And I hope, you know, I hope to see it stay and grow. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you. I I would love to see, you know, that, that event grow, get better attention. Uh, And, you know, I think that having one rider dominate the whole thing is only going to serve the rest of the world. Notice that, you know, you should pay attention to this event. It's going to set ambition for other people. Okay. Uh, I've seen that a lot, you know, uh, somebody completely kills an event and the next event in the series, all of a sudden you've got all these new writers who weren't there right. last week. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. That's a good point. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm psyched about that. And I, yeah, I hope it sticks around for a long time to come. So my pick this week for all the talk we do about recovery, mm-hmm. we, often, in my opinion, just kind of pay a little bit of lip service to sleep. But that's, you know, as as you've informed me, where the majority of our recovery really takes place. Okay, sorry. <laughs> there are some, uh, we'll call them changing factors in my home life. <laughs> and because of that, I needed to buy a new bed. So I went to a couple of bed stores and laid on stuff. And I'll say most everything <laughs> I tried ranged between pretty nice and really nice. Mm-hmm. Then I took a look at the online bed in a box companies and I decided based on what I was reading in terms of reviews and the cost and whatnot, that I would actually buy one. And Mm. I went with this company called Helix. The reviews for them have been really good in many shootouts. They've gotten the best bed, uh, Mm. in, in the entire group. Uh, who knows how the other beds were chosen. Um, but you know, the other thing is their pricing was really pretty decent compared to what they were going up against. So mm-hmm. I, I purchased the Helix Lux Dusk. Uh, so Lux denotes their higher end range of mattresses and uh, they offer three firmness options, soft, a medium, and a firm. And then in each of those firmnesses, mm-hmm. they offer two varieties, one for side sleepers and one for made for people who prefer to sleep on their back or their stomach. Hmm. So the dusk is for back and stomach sleepers and the midnight is the one for side sleepers in the medium firmness. Do you know uh, what, do you know what makes them different from one another? That's fascinating to me. 
it's something about the way they use the the different uh, densities of foam okay. and the way it's positioned. I I they didn't get too. It's hard to dig too far into their website. You know, I am a side sleeper. I would love to go side by side and see what the difference between those two are. Like, I'd love to. I'm very curious. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I, I actually traded a fair number of, of emails with their customer support team trying to figure out if I should get the midnight. I start out on my back on my side and then moved my back. Hmm. So, and I had to think about it, you know, after a number of nights of sleep, well, what do I do more of? And I actually spend more time on my back. So I canceled an order for the midnight and ordered huh? the dusk instead. Yeah. Uh, they're the medium firmness midnight is the most popular bed they sell. And that's the one that won all the various shootouts that I was reading about. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, the Lux dusk is medium firm made for back and stomach sleepers. And I tell you for 1595, I got a mattress that feels as good as some of the $4,000 mattresses I laid on. Hmm. This thing is ridiculously comfortable. It's funny. I got the bed all set up and then uh, somebody asked me, well, you know, how's it feel? And I was like, oh, I haven't laid on it yet. <laughs> and, I, and I laid down. I was like, oh, this is going to do just fine. That's it's, awesome. It's remarkable. It, this is easily the best bed I've ever owned. I actually get excited for bedtime. And I'm still in shock that I was able to get something this good for less than $2,000. That's really fascinating to me because uh, I am due uh, for it. And it's, I'm due for a new mattress, but it, Wow, I'm I'm gonna look into that. That's did they deliver all that kind of stuff? Like it's yeah, it came in a box that I had to you know wrestle around a little bit. But yeah. the box was probably sixteen or eighteen inches across, and you know it's the it's as tall as the mattress is wide, but it's all rolled up and yeah. it's oh, okay. shrink wrap. Okay. So it's funny you get all the shrink wrap off, and all of a sudden it oh, starts funny. inflating. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was able to get everything set up on my own. Huh. Yeah. Alrighty then. I am intrigued. Uh, I uh, I can send you a link. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll no, be in there a might show be one of the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see it. Uh, All right. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. So, are you pinning on a number this weekend? Uh, Labor Day weekend. I am not. I am not. Uh, we're probably just doing a bunch of riding, and it's supposed to be a beautiful weekend. So, doing all the Labor Day weekend stuff, like uh, cooking out, and yeah, it'll be good. And it's our anniversary today, my husband and I's anniversary. So, yeah. Oh, well, excellent. Uh, what number? 21. Wow, you're old enough to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> wow, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we should mention that piece that you published this week on CBD. Yeah, that uh, that was interesting, right? I mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense that it would be lipophobic, like that it would be a fat soluble kind of oil. Like a lot of times when you have an oily supplement, it is it likes fat to digest. Mm-hmm. But the thing, it was remarkable. So for people who didn't see it, uh, they did a this group did a study on CBD supplementation with people with epileptic seizures because that's really the only thing the FDA approves CBD supplementation for, and they. <laughs> They gave it to them either with a, in a fasted state or with a very, you know, 50% fat content breakfast burrito, you know, that was like an 800 calorie breakfast burrito with like half of it was fat, probably a lot of avocado and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the people who had their supplement along with a fatty meal, um, they, when they drew blood, they had four times the amount of the CBD in their, in their plasma, in their system. And the like fourteen times like like the max values, so it was <laughs> it was remarkable like how much it impacted them. So it, it, we're still learning a whole lot about CBD, but you know if if you if you feel like it's not working quite as well, or if it's hit and miss for you, I mean it might be worth looking at that. It might be worth be just being a little consistent, you know, and just taking it with like a meal that's balanced and has some fat. I mean, I think that's the takeaway there. Yeah. Yeah, it was fascinating stuff. I'm I'm going to be thinking about how I can better incorporate it when I when I do use it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey everybody, keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff. If you got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Don't forget our paceline kits from Primal. They're up in the RKP store. 
Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's show features Austin McInerney, who until earlier this summer was the executive director of the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, better known to some as the High School Mountain Bike Racing League. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.